Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Thank you. Good. God bless you. Are you good? Good. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're happy to have each and every one of you. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Joel, and I look forward uh, to getting to know you. I know a number of people are dealing with the junk that's going around right now. Uh, We've got a couple kids at my house not feeling very good as well, so just keep praying every stay safe, wash your hands, all that kind of good stuff, and uh, keep moving forward. Guys, we are powerful people. God has huge plans in store for us, and we cannot be stopped. Amen? Amen. That's the word God has declared over this church. It's the word unstoppable. We are a two and a half year old toddler right now. We're just a little guy as a church, uh, but God has big things in store and he's surrounded us. You're here. Big people are a part of this church and we're grateful for you. I want to pray and we're going to jump right into this uh, final message in the series called Vibes. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. God, would you just speak today? Uh, nobody's here to hear the clever words of an individual. We're here to hear your voice. Father, as I follow the path that you have given me and say the things I feel inspired to say, God, would you speak today? Speak through me and let the ears of those that listen, whether in this room or watching online or listening in a podcast weeks from now, Father, let your voice resonate and meet them exactly where they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been on a journey walking through all of the different facets of this concept called vibes. And uh, we've got a number of different messages that I would encourage you to go back and listen to. We've talked about the power of your thoughts, the power of your words. Last week, the power of prayer, how um, your body, literally everything in creation has a vibration all the way down to the particles that make up an atom. There's a vibration in every single thing that God has created. He created it with the sound of his own voice and his voice still resonates through all of creation. Your life makes a sound makes a sound. Your thoughts make a sound. They travel on vibrations through your body. They light up different parts of your body. Your words magnify your thoughts. The power of the vibration that comes when you have a thought is magnified by your words. And when you pray, the Bible says that our prayers are ever before God's face. Your prayers are powerful. Today, we're going to talk about the power of worship. What happens when you worship? When you think about worship, what do you think about? Do you think about a segment inside of a church service? Do you think about songs that you sing? You wouldn't necessarily be wrong, right? We think about in a church, uh, depending on the denomination, you might have a minister of music or a worship leader or pastor. We have one here. It's an important part of our service every week. I hope it's an important part of your life. I hope you've got some of your favorite songs on your playlist that when you drive in your car, I hope you turn your car into a worship center. I can tell you that in my own personal life, the times that I've spent alone turning your room into a holy place, or some people actually use their closet in that way, and they go lay in their closet and pray, that's wonderful. My car was always a place where I would have privacy and I would worship God. But when I think about worship, it's not just 
Songs. Now, again, songs are very much a part. It's all through Scripture. Singing will be in heaven. We're going to sing for eternity. And the Bible is clear in Colossians 3.16. It says that we are to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.19 says that we are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. Songs are important. It's a very vital part of our worship. And as I researched this week, I found that song is a powerful thing scientifically in your body. I remember a quote from a prophet I heard many years ago. He said that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. It's Buddy the Elf. It's not a prophet. I'm just, just really like that one. Worship is way more than singing, but singing is powerful. Look at, look at some of the scientific things I learned this week. Singing, now this, this is what's crazy. You can sing Led Zeppelin. You could sing Billy Ray Cyrus for crying out loud. There are certain people, I don't know, you probably couldn't sing because their music's too, too gross, but, but just singing in general... Forget that it's lyrics that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Forget that it's God's actual word put to song and what it would magnify and how much power, more powerful it would be if you're singing the right things. But just singing some Bob Marley boosts your immune system, releases stress. Come on, I get all kinds of health benefits from singing Bob Marley. It's the only thing I can sing and sound appropriate because I only have a reggae voice, right? That's all I got. I can't sing fancy stuff, just... A little reggae is all I can do. It benefits your heart. It increases your energy. It improves your memory. It fosters clear thinking and even correct breathing. Singing changes the brain by moving musical vibrations through and altering both your physical and emotional landscape. It's called the perfect tranquilizer. It soothes your nerves and it elevates your spirit. It gives you a feeling of calm and energy at the same time. Every time I get pulled over, it's because there's a really good song on the radio. Oh my gosh, a little Sammy Hagar. I can't drive 55. No, I cannot. Right? The good song. I, I can't tell you how many times officer comes up to the window. I wish I could tell you this doesn't happen very often. But there are just too many good songs. You in a hurry, sir? No, sir. Just a really good song on the radio. Makes me drive fast. Singing releases endorphins. They give you an immediate feeling of pleasure. It lowers your cortisol levels in your body, which releases stress. It relieves anxiety and improves the quality of your life. This is just singing in general. How much more when you actually sing something that builds your faith? How much more when you actually sing something that releases God's purpose in your life? Worship songs are powerful. You should sing all the time. Anytime you're in a bad mood, just sing. I remember a time driving my daughter Sydney to church and she woke up in a bad mood. You ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? It's called every morning for some people. Um, but, but I wanted to show her just how powerful 
the way you focus your attention is in your life. I have, since she was a little bitty, since she was a baby, I made it my mission to introduce her to every single type of music I possibly could. I remember the first time I saw her in the back headbanging at about 18 months of age. It was a Green Day song on and I was banging my head up front and she was banging her head in the back in her little baby seat and I'm like, that is my girl right there. And so I, I just made it my purpose to introduce her to all, I mean, from classic rock to country to, to hip hop to whatever. I, I just, I love music so much and I think there's, it's such a part of our culture. It's such a part of, of just the, the history of humanity. And so I remember a specific time she was in a bad mood and so I said, hey, babe, I want to introduce you to a new song. And I, I put on that song by Queen, the one that goes, the Galileo, Galileo, Galileo Figaro, Magnifico, bum, 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 that one. And within seconds, she's like, oh, I mean, she's into it, man. She's, and she, oh my, and I'm like, and I turn off the radio. I said, do you see what just happened? You changed your focus and it changed your feelings. You went from being meh to singing and having a blast, and the only thing that shifted was your focus. How powerful is a song? And that was Freddie Mercury. What if we sang intentionally songs filled with the power of God on other times besides Sunday morning? What if you filled your playlist with stuff that elevates your faith field. We talked about in these last few weeks the true reality that your heart emits frequencies and signals that go out eight feet and beyond from your body. In science, it's called your heart field. I prefer to call it your faith field. You have a sphere of faith energy that exudes. Your emotions reside there. Your beliefs reside there. And you affect the people around you with the faith that you walk in in your life. What can we do as basic practices to elevate that faith field? So if singing is not the extent of worship, what is worship? Where does that word come from? What does that word even mean? Well, a better way to understand the word worship is if you change and add a couple letters in the middle. If after the R, you would add a T-H and make it worth-ship, it would make more sense. Because worship is when you express, in many different ways, the state of something's worth to you. Many different ways to express it. But when you express... God's worth in your life, that's worship. I heard a story this summer, this summer. A friend of mine has an individual in his church, doesn't live in Texas, but he is a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. I hope some of you prayed that miraculous prayer earlier in the service for our Dallas Cowboys. We really need to have a good season, and we need to get past the first game in the playoffs once this decade. <laughs> but my friend has a member in his church who is such a dedicated fan that he has a man cave in his house. And when my friend went over to see it and walked through it, 
he began to realize that this was the most dedicated fan he'd ever seen. Dallas Cowboys everything. Original helmets, jerseys, every card you could think of. Toothbrushes, uniforms, cheerleaders' uniforms, plates, dishes, couches, pillows. The estimated value of this Cowboys Mandin is $250,000. And I thought, now that's worship. And my, my question to my friend was, I hope he shows that same dedication to Jesus. Nothing wrong, I got no bones to pick. My God, celebrate the Cowboys all you want. But make sure that Jesus doesn't get less fandom in your life than a group of men who don't give a rat's tail about you. What does your worship look like? How much do you invest in your worship? I was reminded of a story that I heard many years ago. It's a story that took place in the late 1990s. It was a pastor named Mike Pilavachi from the UK. He had a worship leader in his church named Matt Redmond. They were beginning to become very well known across the world with the worship that was coming out, but something was missing. It was becoming too commercial. It was becoming too much of a show. So Pastor Mike did something desperate. He had a ministry. The church was called Soul Survivor, and he had a, a worship uh, experience that they would do for weeks throughout the summer. Over 30,000 people would come in the UK to worship at these Soul Survivor music and worship festivals. But something was going on in the church, and there was something missing. It was too much about the lights and the smoke and the instruments and the performance. So Pastor Mike did something desperate, something drastic, and he canceled all instruments, all special effects, and everything with the hope that people would come back to the true place of worship and seek the face of God for something more than just a show. See, God said in the book of Isaiah that there are some people that worship with their mouths, but their hearts were far from him. You can sing all day long. But if it doesn't prove out in the rest of your life, something missing. Jesus said a time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, spiritually expressing themselves and truthfully walking it out in action. Faith without works is dead. So as the weeks went on at Soul Searcher Church, Soul Survivor Church, Matt Redmond began to get inspired. He began to document what was happening inside of the hearts of people. In frantic fashion, sitting in his bedroom, he got inspired and he wrote a song that would later be titled, Heart of Worship. 
lyrics go like this. He literally just was documenting what was happening inside of the church. When the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. How do you worship? How is your worship expressed? How is your worship acted out? There's another passage where the Bible talks about religious people that were fasting. But when they would fast, they would make sure that everyone knew that they were fasting. They wouldn't do their hair. They would walk around looking miserable and gaunt and make sure that everyone knew how holy they were. And the Lord rebuked him and said, you, you, you fast all of these different things, but you don't actually act out love and mercy and justice. I, I wish that you would actually do the things that matter and not just a ritual. It was Isaiah 29 I mentioned earlier that says their hearts, they honor, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Watch this. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Our worship can't be about rules. It can't be about regulations. It has to come from the heart. It has to be expressed with our life. Your volunteerism is worship. Thank God for the people that we were able to make the videos about. Real, realistically, we need about 100 more people to say, you know what, I'll be a leader in this church. I'll, I'll be more than a spectator. Is that too real? I know you're busy. We're all busy. But, but could you give a couple hours a month? I mean, we got big ideas, big vision. But if we can't take care of the 40, 50 children that we have already, how are we going to handle hundreds and 200s and 300s? If we can't handle helping people get parked in the parking lot right now with, with one service and 300 or so people showing up, how, how are we going to handle 500, 800, 1,000? We can, there's no limit to what we can accomplish. How are we going to, how are we going to feed and take care of the thousands of homeless people in the city of McKinney? Unless people say, I'll give you more than a song. I'll give you more than a song. Oh my God, I've got big vision. I, I, I've got vision I, I haven't even told you about yet. We've got things in works and the works and in motion that, that I'm not even ready to present to you yet because I gotta put it together, but it's in my heart, it's in my head. It was there before I ever even knew the name of this church. It was there before I ever even understood what God was really doing. Something that can change this entire city, that can rally 
professionals and business people around elevating the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people to recognize that they don't exist to build their own kingdom. They exist to build God's kingdom. And their work is part of their worship. Did you know that in the Hebrew language, work and worship are the same word many times in many places? When Moses said, hey, Pharaoh, we have to go out. Let the people of God go. We have to go out into the wilderness and worship. Did you know we actually use the word for work? Your work is worship. I'm just a real estate agent. It's worship. I'm a cosmetologist. Worship. Oh, my God, you have no, many, no idea how many people you can get saved when you have sharp objects in your hand and they have to sit in your chair. It's worship. It's not just a song. It's how you use your gifts. It's how you use your talents. It's how you use your money. Oh, here he goes. There's the preacher. Always comes back to money. Yeah, it does. You know why? Because I got to preach the Bible. And Jesus said, where you'll spend eternity is connected to how you spend your money. Did you know Jesus said that? So you think I should back down on that? If I care about where you spend eternity, do you think I should back down talking about money? If I love you, should I back down talking about money? If I know what the Bible says about it? Besides, the only people that get offended about money are the people that don't obey God with their money. So if you're offended, I know who you are. <laughs> I try to behave. I just don't do well at it. Did you know that it's not when it comes down to worship, worshiping God, it's not between worshiping God and worshiping the devil? Has anybody here this week been tempted to worship Satan? Anybody thought, oh my God, I'm just really trying hard not to worship Satan. I'm so, the angel of light, he's so alluring. It's not a competition between worshiping Jesus or worshiping Satan. According to Jesus, it's a competition between worshiping Jesus and worshiping money. Okay, I'll just read Jesus to you then. You don't believe me. Matthew 6, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart, the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to the whole body. When your eye is healthy, the phrase used in Hebrew was if your eye is good or if your eye is pure. Then your whole body will be filled with light. If your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Having an evil eye was a phrase in the Middle East still used to this day that is connected to greed and stinginess. If your eye is full of light, it means you're generous. If your eye is evil, it means you're stingy and covetous. That's what it means in the culture. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Watch what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Money is not evil. Money is good. I want you to have a whole lot of it. 
but money can't have you. Money is a tool to do great things in the earth. Money is a tool that God uses. God's children should have access to lots of money, and money should flow through them in powerful ways. It's not about hoarding. It's about being a conduit of God's grace and goodness and mercy. It's about being an expression of who God has called you to be, an expression of who he is in the earth. If you want to know what you really worship, do an inventory of where you spend your time, how you use your talent, and where you put your money. If God is not a centerpiece in that, well, Joel, this sure is a self-serving message. Is it? Or is it a God-serving message? It benefits you way more than it benefits me. Because the reality is that God's going to take care of me no matter what you do. He's my source. He's who I worship. I'm not, I'm not looking to ser or serve myself one bit. I believe in this stuff and I live this stuff. So it's very easy for me to talk about it. Because I passed the test in it. And I want you to as well. The greatest idol that we all have to seek not to worship is the idol of self. The elevation of self. Worship isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about God. Worship is not about what you want. It's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. Worship is not about what you want to give. It's about what God wants you to give. See, worship is the centerpiece of the first human story, the book of Genesis. Worship can be summed up in one word, sacrifice. Sacrifice. What does sacrifice mean? If you look up sacrifice in the dictionary, it talks about worship. Sacrifice, if I could give it the most simplistic definition, it means to give up something you love for something you love more. Oh my gosh, I love my, I love my alone time. Can I tell you how much I love my alone time? When you're in the people business, when you have children, oh, there's nothing more precious than alone time to a new mom. <laughs> Husbands, you want to make mama happy? Take them children off her hands. Handle dinner. Oh, my! someone just got the Holy Ghost right there. There's a woman just felt, mm, Jesus, come speak, Jesus. Take care of dinner. Handle the dishes. Let mama soak her feet. Sacrifice. Two trees in the center of the garden. One was the tree of life. 
If Adam and Eve ate from it, they would have lived forever. The other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My personal philosophy, I don't have a way to prove this, but according to the pattern in Scripture, I believe that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the very first tree God created. Why would I believe that? Because all through Scripture, God said, I want the first thing. Give me the first thing. Give me the first fruit. Bring me the first portion. It's the only rule they had. Don't eat from that tree. Don't touch that tree. That one's mine. Give me the first fruit. Oh, he was trying to protect them. Life was so much simpler without cell phones, social media, mass communication, instant knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Ruins our lives. How angry can we get? Scrolling through a stream. How angry can we get watching news after news after news after news after news? It's the knowledge of evil. God wanted desperately for us to be spared. Leave the knowledge of evil to me. Give me the first fruit. They failed. It was their tithe. They failed on the tithe. So the second story in the Bible about humanity, Cain and Abel. They had been instructed by God to bring the first portion of the harvest of the flock. Cain worked the ground. He was in agriculture. Abel worked the flocks. Cain brought scraps from the field. Abel brought the very first spotless lamb from the herd. God told Cain, who was angry at his brother because he was jealous that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was rejected. Cain was angry about that. And God's response to him was, if you just do what is right, will you not be accepted? What does that statement infer or imply? It implies that Cain already knew what he was supposed to bring. He wasn't supposed to bring leftovers from the cabbage patch. He was supposed to go barter with his brother, do business with his brother, because he was instructed to bring a first fruit from the herd as worship to God. It's about what God wants to receive, not what you want to give. Oh my goodness, how many times has God asked me to give something I didn't want to give? How many times has he asked me to sacrifice a possession, my time, my energy, my resources, beyond what I wanted to give? But those are the opportunities for true worship. Giving more than a song. Did you know that he instructed, and this is multiple times in scripture, multiple times in scripture, but God's actual words, Exodus 34, verse 20, 
And none, no one, none of you shall appear before me empty-handed. Don't even show up empty-handed. Wow. A, A Jewish person that I knew, I heard, said to another friend, wow, Christian church is the best place for poor people. Excuse me? Oh, yeah, man, poor people can go in. Man, they get a show. They get pumped up, fired up. It's free. It's awesome place for poor people. We don't, we don't, we don't get that. At synagogue, we, we have to pay a membership. Did you know that? It's like a country club. They, they got a seat with their name on it. They pay dues or they don't get to come. They don't have to come. A lot of them never come. But they pay their dues because they're good Jews. I think we're going to switch some policies up around here. (laughs) I'm like, they got a better business model for crying out loud. Being facetious, obviously. But what would happen if Christians focused on what they could give instead of what they could get? What if Christians focused on how much of their time they could dedicate to God's service? Look, it's not only about the church. Should you be involved in your church? Absolutely. If you love your church, you believe in your church? Absolutely. But, but we exist to serve God's people in this whole region. My God, there's, a, there's tons of great ministries you can serve in, tons of great places to volunteer in, amazing opportunities to invest in different ministries. It's one of the things that we are so proud of here at Oaks Church is that every year we're, we're able to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars to other ministries and organizations that we're able to vet and build relationships with inside of our community, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Very soon, we will, have been, we, we will be able to be proud of the fact that God has enabled us to give away over a million dollars to other ministries and organizations in missions around the world. It won't be that long before we hit that mark. I'm excited about that because we don't exist to get. We exist to give. We exist to give. You are a living sacrifice. You're a living sacrifice. What Paul wrote to the Romans, chapter 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Your life is worship. Your work is worship. Your parenting is worship. Your hobbies can be worship. See, when, as, a, as a competitive martial artist and a fighter, I, I was stuck at a level in my competition. I was a national champion, a regional champion, but I'd plateaued. And it took a revelation in my own personal life that I had compartments in my life that were all about me. Oh my gosh, how often is that true? That I had compartments of my life that weren't about God. God gets this area of my life. God gets this portion of my life. But this portion, this portion's for me. But I had a friend. See, true friends will challenge you. 
True friends will ask you tough questions. And my true friend, Brian, asked me a really tough question. And it, it helped me to realize that God wasn't the Lord over my competition career. That was mine. And it broke my heart to realize that. So I dedicated my competition career to God. And I put all of my training and all of my competition and all of my efforts as a professional competitor under the category of worship to be used, come on, worship, right there. Mm. <laughs> right there. Under the category of the most, the most precious part of my life to me, I had dedicated to me. It was about me winning, me on the pedestal, me getting the attaboys, me getting the, 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 the medals around my neck. But when I shifted that, and it was all worship, it was all about God's platform, God's accolade, God's gift that he'd given me, the influence that God wanted me to have in the people around me. All of a sudden, when it became worship, the lid came off, and the regionals and nationals became world and global. Nothing different in my training. Something different in my heart. You were created for worship. Isaiah 43, 7 says that he created you for his glory. For his worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says that whatever you do, God, that's broad. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Listen, if you just lived that one verse, it would change your life. How many things do we do that we could not figure out a way for it to be glorious to God? How many shows do we watch that there's no possible way it could be shifted to be worshipful? Oh, is this, too, is this too invasive? Mess with my Netflix, Pastor Joe. Nothing wrong with entertainment. Nothing wrong with good movies. But how much of your time does God get in worship compared to how much Steven Spielberg gets in worship? M. Night Shyamalan, whatever their names are, all these different producers and directors and whatever, that they put their life's work out there and our money and our time and our attention and our focus can go to hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. You know, the most convicting thing to me that I get every single week is that little thing that pops up on my iPhone and says, your screen time was up 12% this week. Oh my God, I need one that says your prayer time was up... got to figure that out. Your volunteer time was down 32% this week. Oh. Our life is a sacrifice. One more thing. Did you know that worship is part of your warfare? Worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. The story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. 
They spent 40 years in the wilderness. A whole generation had to die off. They finally make it to the promised land. They're intimidated. They'd sent out spies. Ten of the spies came back and said, they're bigger than us. They're more than us. There's giants. There's no way. We were like grasshoppers to them. Two of them came back and said, we got this in the bag. We're bigger than them. We're more than them. We're stronger than them. There's no way they can stand before us. They will melt before us. So God put them to a test. The fortified city called Jericho, a walled city. The children of Israel, none of the living children of Israel had ever been to war. None of the living children of Israel had ever been engaged in battle. They had been slaves and the children of slaves. But God gave them an instruction that worship was to lead them into warfare. He gave them another instruction that Jericho was the first fruit. Jericho was the tithe of their territory. And they were not to touch anything in the city for themselves. They were to destroy everything in the city except for the gold and silver and precious items and that was to be brought into the church to establish the work of God in the, in the community. God wanted the first fruit. So they walked around the city. They followed his instructions. They walked around the city every day. All of the warriors walked around the city every day. I believe the number was 600,000 warriors. Can you imagine being in a city and having 600,000 walk around in absolute silence every single day, six days in a row? Can you imagine the chatter? Can you imagine the social media posts inside of Jericho? Can you imagine how nervous they were? They were instructed not to utter a single word. And at the very last moment, on the seventh day, after the seventh time around the city, they were to shout at the top of their lungs, and the walls would fall down. Ladies and gentlemen, it is impossible for walls to fall because of a shout, except for a miraculous God that somehow used the vibration of the shout of 600,000 warriors to overpower the vibration inside of the stones that made up the walls. And God's miraculous power caused the walls to sink straight into the ground. The warriors came in, they destroyed everything. Worship won the battle. The sad story is one man named Achan didn't obey and he touched God's resources. He stole the tithe, buried it in his tent. In the next village they went to, a tiny little village, no walls, hardly any warriors, and they suffered it an embarrassing defeat 
Because one man stole God's worship. Let's be a people at Oaks Church, here locally in McKinney, spreading around the globe. They refuse to touch God's worship. They instead vow that they'll bring God more than a song. They won't just worship in spirit, but they'll worship in truth. They'll worship in their time, their volunteerism, with their treasure and their tithe, with their effort and their energy, with their work. We'll bring in more than a song. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.